Okay, so we are entering into a new kind of major section in the systematic theology study. Um, this is the application of redemption to us as believers. There are going to be, this is, we're, this is a major section in the systematic theology book, so we're going to be in this section for a while. The first thing that we're looking at in this section um, is the idea of common grace. Um, and then the next time, um, the next section will be um, election reprobation. I ask that y'all pray for me ahead of that. That one is a particularly difficult um, area, um, and it's particularly difficult um, for me to to address it. I feel uncomfortable addressing that outside of like, hey, we're in a book that touches on this, and we started at the beginning of the book, and we moved through it. Um, verse by verse to get to that. Um, the systematic approach to addressing those tends to be like, here's a worldview that I hold. Here's the scriptures that support that worldview. Um, so these scriptures align with it. Now, it's easy when you take that approach, like here's scriptures that align with my worldview on this, um, to highlight ones that better support your particular worldview or and maybe suppress <clears throat> to some extent. Um, scriptures that might support a, a different one. As we get there, I want us to be very um, gracious in our approach, understanding, like, I want to give you a, a heads up on this um, ahead of that. The his, like, historically, in regards to that, there have been um, at least two major um, widespread understandings that have essentially been there like from from the beginning of church history so that when we have those types of things um we see that historically then what we understand there is that this is a difficult matter um and that it it except for in the extreme fringes it ought not be something that that divides a body of believers okay so that's that's what that's what kind of what i will say to that so as we're kind of approaching it today, we've got a lot of text. We may or may not finish the entire thing today. Um, we're going to be in Romans for the first little piece of this. Um, and then we'll, we'll be looking at a couple of, of other places. So again, um, the, the topic that we're on today is common grace. Um, I'm going to give us kind of, we'll open up with, with just kind of a, a definition from the systematic theology book that does a pretty good job here. Um, so, um, the, qu the question that kind of precedes his giving this definition in like the first chapter, the first pages of this chapter, he asks, how can God continue to give blessings to sinners who deserve only death, not only to those who will ultimately be saved, but to also, but also to millions who will never be saved, whose sins will never be forgiven. And then he lays out the, um, the, de the definition here that he gives for common grace. Common grace is the grace of God by which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not part of salvation. Um, we're going to cover this um, in, in, see some ex and see some examples of this. I want us, as we enter into this section of the study through systematic theology, um, there's, there's going to be ample opportunity for our human fleshly hearts to question the character of God. 
right? There are going to be plenty of places where from, from our flesh, we're going to say, well, I would have done it this way, or couldn't you have done it that way? Or like, what if you did it this way? Like supposing that we're wiser than God, supposing that we uh, know more than God, like all of those, like, well, if, if he is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, like wouldn't he make the best decisions? And then we inject on top of that, well, I would have done it this way. And, and in doing so, we elevate our own understanding and knowledge um, to be something that is... Um, God-like, at least in the way that we, that we present it. And I think that's the wrong way of us approaching it. I think the, the best way to start approaching this topic is to start from a place of humility and also to ask ourselves, why ought God save anyone? Okay? Like, why ought He save anyone? And from that, we could ask the question, must He save anyone? Right, and I, I think we could formulate a couple of different ways that we could maybe approach that answer. We're gonna we're gonna look specifically this morning, um, at, and and kind of the the first couple of places in the text that I want that I want us to look at or to set that context a little bit so that we remember, like as believers, we've been showered with God's grace in unimaginable ways. We can know Him. We can fellowship with Him. And in that, like the the longer that we are in that fellowship, but still on this side of the resurrection, there is a tendency there for us to forget what we were like prior to Him working in us to bring us to where we are today. You were sinful and you were enemies of God, right? You were rebels so much so that the human race is said to be inventors of new evils. Like we literally like invent new ways of sinning. Um, So with that, I want us to look at Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 18. This is probably one of my favorite places in all of Scripture if I want to humble myself. Um, if, If I ever think that I do good in and of myself, if I ever think, hear someone... Um, claim to be good um, in and of themselves. This is one of the places that my mind goes to. So Romans chapter 3, I'm going to start reading um, in verse 10. So as it is written, no one is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the condition that we find ourselves in as humans. This is the condition that Paul is laying out here as he's beginning to preach the gospel in this letter to the Romans, where he begins by showing that both the Jews and the Gentiles are under sin and that um, the law is incapable of doing what the grace of God um, does through the work of Christ. Let's go now to Romans chapter 6. 
Look at verse 23 here. So Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. So what is the state of human beings outside of the work of Christ? And pose this question. What is it? Death. What, are, what does God owe you as a sinner? Death. Death. His, his justice demands your death. Right? His grace allows you to live as a sinner, not punished immediately by death. I want us to go really quickly. So as I considered these, these ideas that we're going to be pressing into over the coming weeks, as I consider my state prior to the work of Christ in me, prior to the gospel being preached, prior to my believing that gospel, um, when I consider myself, um, oftentimes we look at salvation as something owed to humans, correct? That God stands a debtor to humanity to give salvation to everyone. That's oftentimes the way that we approach it. And we'll, we will like put God's character um, on examination by the way that we approach whether or not he, he, he gives salvation to those who deserve death. Um, according to the way that we think that he should. Um, but I want us to look in scripture to see... Um, a particularly harsh reality um, that I that like when I think about um, there's there's much mysteries to be found in the angelic in the in the existence of the angelic realm um, and we get glimpses into it at various places um, in Second Peter chapter two we get a particularly interesting. Um, glimpse into this into this world second um, Peter chapter 2 verse 4 for God did not spare the angels when they sinned but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment so when the angels fell what did God do immediately he cast them, he did not spare them, but he cast them into hell. What did he do with Adam when Adam fell? He spared him. We see God committing the first sacrifice to clothe his shame, right? And then God making promises from the very beginning that he would crush the head of the serpent. Right, so so the angels fall and are punished immediately. Who of you cry out for justice and question the character of God because he has not given Satan a second chance? Must he give must he give created beings a second chance? Like, is, is he required? Is there a debt between him and his creation that he must give Satan an opportunity for salvation? So, so, so one had a court date. We did. Yeah. A lesser being. Yes. We have a court date that's coming soon. 
Yes. The great white throne judgment. Yes. Others didn't. You know, that's the big question. Seriously, if you had an absolute execution yeah. at that moment, he brought justice in that moment. Yes. Judge, jury, executioner, the one who yeah. is the and, and in doing so, right? Like in doing so, he's there's no wrong from the point of view of God to the fallen angels in having done that, right? Like God is not less good, less like all the attributes that we contribute that we attribute to God in, in that we look at as the like the the good the good things right like, like wrath is we oftentimes categorize that in a separate place than like um, than his kindness um, mercy will categorize in a different place than we than we will his justice right um, so in all of those attributes that we love to think about God being good kind merciful. He was no less than perfect in any of those when the angels committed sin, executing judgment immediately upon them. Right? Like he is perfect. Had he only created the angelic realm and only performed that action where those who fell were cast into hell, he would be all good, all loving, all kind, all merciful. Like his performing that action made him no less holy, no less righteous, no less good, no less merciful. Yet he did it. Like this is like scripture points us to this reality about the angels. Now we can we can see a stark difference between what happened to the angels and what happened to us, right? So, God did not have to treat us as He did, as He has, right? Now, oftentimes we will like pose the way that He treats us or the way that like we approach His work of salvation in the world will approach it in such a way that we'll talk about fairness we'll talk about justice is he unfair to satan there's no unfairness in in that interaction right he did not spare the angels so what i want us to what i want us to see here is is in this god's grace towards us is not something that he owed to any of us, and specifically when I'm talking about here, like today, the idea of co- this this common grace, right? Now, um, you could make a division. You could make a division between the type of grace that that you and I experience as believers, and the type of grace that God allows to all sinners in the world, right? That that they like how how many how many of the evilest of us have enjoyed love between a spouse or children or mother and father the evilest most wretched among us those whom Romans chapter 3 speak of that not a single one sought after God yet he pours out in every moment of our existence like we are fallen in Adam, right? 
We're counted in that fall, yet we commit the same atrocities in our lives, and he lets us breathe more breath. Right? This is his grace to us. And yet trample upon it. We will, we, will, we will use the very breath that He allows us to have to curse Him. He allows this. He allows this. Because He could have stopped it in an instant. Right? He chose to create. He did not need to create. And in the way that He created, He chose the way that He would create. Right? And yet he has, even though that we can see this example of him not sparing the angels, spared us and given us um, oftentimes blessings that are, that are um, just innumerable. Let's, let's look at a couple of other places in Scripture. Um, flip with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. So Matthew 5, 44 and 45, let's read it. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So like we could spend an entire like morning on this particular text because um, what he say what what he's saying for us in the first part of this here he's supporting with this idea of of the way that God is working in us and to us so so we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that we may be what sons of our Father who is in heaven that that's to say that we are examples of the light that he has shown um, so. And, and then it goes on here in the latter part of 45. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. Right? So both good and evil experience the, the good that God has set forth in this world. Right? He does not... And, and oftentimes... Oftentimes, what you will find is if you just look at the world at large, is that very oftentimes um, it would seem to our eyes, and you can look through Ecclesiastes, like one of the the wisest of, of all men comes to this same this same type of conclusion that it's like more often than not the evil seem to do better in this world than the good. More often than not. You can look and you can say, like, why, do, why does God allow this? This is part of the grace, this common grace. Now, we live in this common grace, all of us. And I would say that this common grace <clears throat> is laid out in such a way that it leads us into the grace that saves us, right? Because if not for this extension of common grace to us, there would be no grounds in which 
you would have the working out of Christ's work of salvation. Because if every time a sinner sinned, the first time God punished them immediately, casting them to hell, then it would, it would essentially look like pop into existence, pop into hell. Pop into existence, pop into hell. Right? Like, give us much ground to move, and we move towards sinfulness. The nature of who we are tends to be that way. Right? Yet God gives grace in such a way that He can show His kindness and goodness even to those who rebel in the... And, and when I say even to those who like rebel in the worst of ways, like let's, let's understand that's us. Right? Let's understand that outside of the, the preaching of the Word, the believing of this truth, we are all there. We are the worst of these. Right? That is who we are. Rebels against our Creator. Yet He give, gives us grace. And in that, He's done more, He's done more than that. We won't get into it too much today. Um, but He's done, He's done so much more than just give us the ability to experience good lives here, to see the sunrise, to see the beauty of his creation, to experience the rain. And, and a, a lot of times, you like when we talk about rain, like we talk about rain as though that's like a, a sad thing. But rain um, is without rain, we are we are we are dry and dead ground, right? Like like rain brings this replenishing, renewing. Like you may not love the rainy days, but the rainy days are what allow you to see the green that you see on the on the bright and, su- and sunny days, right? So like this like rise, sun rising here, um, sending rain on the just and the unjust. Like this is this is not a good and a bad that he's like sun rising being the good, rain falling being being a bad thing. These are both goods that he's highlighting here right like the rising of the sun and experiencing this um, on both the evil and the good as well as the rain that comes and coming for the unjust and the just like both of these are um, examples of God's common grace being shown to us let's look at um, next um, Acts chapter 14 I'm going to look at a couple of places here where we see these um, like God extending these good gifts to all of us. So Acts chapter 16, or excuse me, chapter 14, verse 16. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So God is in this work of common grace testifying to himself to the human race, right? So like in in this here, it, it says, yeah, he did not leave himself without witness. What was the witness of who he is? For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Like in, in the opening of Romans, like we see this picture that um, God has made himself known through creation. 
right? Here, here's another one of those examples. Like the grace that God shows to all in the way that he's ordered the world, right? Where, where it rains and we have the ability to have seasons and we, ha- we have fruitful seasons and we have this. This is something like when, when I look at this last part of this, and I consider the grace that God shows us even, even while we're rebellious, right? Before he calls us to him. He could give us an existence that was like blah, right? He could. He could say, well, I'm going to give you an existence that is just like, it's subpar. And that subpar existence, you're just going to live in that. Um, and then some of you, I'm going to save you out of that. But he speaks of satisfying here. And this is part of the witness of who he is in creation is that he works on those who are enemies as well as those who are his sons. He works in satisfying the heart. Like that is, he, he needs do nothing but punish us for our sinfulness. And yet while we are sinners... He concerns himself with satisfying our hearts and in so doing testifies to his goodness, right? And for the sinner, the unrepentant heart, this grace that they dwell in while rebelling builds up for them. Wrath. Like, think about trampling on grace that's not deserved to you. You take breath in from your Creator and you use it to deny His existence. And yet, He doesn't stop your breath there. Oftentimes, He gives you more breath. Knowing that when He gives you more breath, you will continue cursing. Now, some of us... Like, some of us, that cursing, like, that rebelling, like, look at, look at Paul on the road to Damascus. Like, where did, it, where did he find himself when that happened? Right? Like, think of the grace that you must feel when the, Lord's, when the Lord calls you as you were headed towards using the breath that he had given you to persecute his people. Like, think about the over... Like, do you often consider that overwhelming reality that God let you rebel against Him? Like, when you, when you sinned, God knew you would. In whatever fashion that was, He kept you in existence in that moment. If that's not, if that's not grace... now. There's lots of questions that should be pouring into our minds when we, can, when we consider that idea, right? That are difficult questions. But from the personal side of things, I am so grateful that He did not crush me right. under my sin. Because He would have been just in doing so. Because how often, even today... Even today, how often do we find ourselves living in grace with tendencies that abuse it? That's right. But how, how grace 
<laughs> How gracious is it that he would tenderly, he couldn't, he couldn't even expose all of it to you, but he could tenderly put the burden of your guilt and your hurt, like your sin yeah. on you until you felt the weight of it. Yes. And called you to a place of total need. Like I can't, I'm tracking with you with all this stuff. Like you've got like this idea of our providence, that his providence is revealing us his grace and how much he's but then when you get to that point you realize the greatest providence that you could ever receive would be salvation from yourself and he yeah yeah that he doesn't crush us under the weight of it like there's so yes yes like it Yeah. Yeah. God loves you. Look what He's doing for you. He's, he doesn't owe any of us this, but yeah. He blesses us. So just pointing out the blessings and the kindness <laughs> of Christ toward us can lead to repentance. Yeah. Like that's a, that verse I was looking. What is, what verse is that in Romans? It says your kindness leads us to repentance. That, that's what this whole discussion mm-hmm. reminded me of. Yeah. This is like, I'll, I need y'all to be, I know we hit the, the time limit, um, or we're definitely right up against it. I'll, I'll ask y'all to be in prayer for me over the coming weeks as we continue um, in this. Oftentimes, in the past, it has seemed as though this subject matter oftentimes either like the emotions that we get are either like defensive or or they may be um like haughty is a is a good word right um i want us as we as we enter into this section of the study i want the end result that comes out of, and this is, like I say, several, that we're going to be covering several, 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 several um, weeks in, in this. Um, I want us to come out of it like hopeful and gracious and thankful. Um, that's kind of ultimately the heart that I want us to come out of it. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to, let me, let me, I'm going to turn this, this off real quick.